welcome to The Lux Files, a podcast for occultists about occultists. I'm your host, Sean, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Be sure to subscribe to The Lux Files wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on all the new episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Lux Files. Uh, This is episode 23, I believe. I've been really busy uh, lately, so I have no idea what's going on. So I think we're episode 23 might be episode 24. Who knows? But it doesn't matter because I have an amazing guest anyways. um, I have witch, author, and artist, Laura Tempest-Zakroff with me today. Hello, hello, Laura. Hello. So glad to be here. Yeah, virtual space. <laughs> Thanks for, for being here. I really appreciate it. How are you? I am excellent. I this is my week of sort of chilling and getting back to like, what is the world? Yeah, right. <laughs> when you're that busy with uh, um, uh, writing, do you like, are you completely cocooned? Uh, like you don't leave the house type of, type of thing? Pretty much because my brain becomes like this giant download, must not express it. And like, no, I, I need to take a break. And then I go somewhere and they'll think of something else. So I try not to, you know, move too much out outside of the space and just let it happen. I'm like really shit for doing anything else. So it's like, all right, I have to get all the major other things done before I start writing. Otherwise I'd be like, oh, I, I just can't. I just, you know, so it's a it's total submission into the writing process. I'm like, I can't yeah. wait to get out of this box. You know, that's funny. I, I never, I mean, you know, I, I, I've never written a book, so this really wouldn't have occurred to me, but you just saying that right now, like, it's really interesting. You you saying like you go somewhere and you get inspiration and, and it's like, inspiration is always a good thing. We always talk about inspiration being a very, very good thing. But here in this context, I can see an, an author being like, this is not what I needed right now. Like, oh my God. Yeah, could you like hold it for a moment? I'm in the shower. I can't write anything down while I'm in the shower or like that like little bit of space where you're almost asleep. Like you put your phone down and you're like, it's it's gonna be quiet. It's gonna be good. I'm gonna go right to sleep. I'm exhausted. And then suddenly you're like, oh, here's six ideas I have to like put mm-hmm. down in my little, you know, in the phone. So my yeah. best stories happen because uh, I do write um, uh, uh, short stories um, just for myself. I've never, I've never like, um, like here world, uh let me introduce you to my fucked up brain because like i write like occult detective uh fiction but i um i kind of i kind of do it from the point of view of you know like the worst of the satanic panic like uh rape and murder and 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 incest and all like the worst that the that was you know, during the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah. So I've never been like, okay, here, here's what's in my brain world, read this. Um, but my best stories happen from the moment my head hits the pillow to three hours later when I actually fall asleep. Oh, and they're brilliant and they're brilliant. And I wake up the next morning, I'm like, I'm gonna write this down and it's shit. Yeah, it's complete shit. I'm actually gonna try, I was thinking uh, the other day, um, try um, um, voice to text mm-hmm. and see if I can uh, um, do that. 
uh, when I when I get these these brainstorms, you know, instead of because I mean I'm not going to get up at like three in the morning. I'm like, oh, I'm going to write this down. You know what I mean? So yeah. No, that, yeah, that's why I just use the the notepad function on there. Like I should really have something in the shower that's waterproof that I could just hear those, you know, six paragraphs. <laughs> Aren't their phones waterproof now? I don't want to explore. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you know, tomorrow when you hop in the shower, find out. Just bring <laughs> in with you and just find out why not. I think my phone's waterproof. I think it can actually like go in water to like a certain depth, I think. I have an iPhone 10. I mean, but I'm not, like, I mean, I won't even, like if it's raining, I won't even have it in my hand. So, you know, I'm not gonna, you know. I suppose it, I could do like a little Ziploc bag and, but then it would be this whole awkward thing. I think it's, I think what happens is the muses are like, I'm just gonna tease the fuck out of you. And I'm gonna give you this idea. And if you were actually to have paper or to voice record or do anything else, it would just be poop. It would be this desert in your mind. Oh, yeah. like, no, too accessible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I get that. Believe me, I get that. So with my podcast, um, like I started this just to have conversations with people and it's very casual. And I like listening to people's stories. And my favorite thing um, to hear from my guests is that sort of first moment in their lives that kind of like set them on their magical slash spiritual path. Um, Because most people that I've come across in our community, like there was something like early in their childhoods Mm -hmm. and I find it really, really fascinating. Um, So that's where I always begin with all of my interviews. So um, how was, how about you tell us about your like, you know, seminal moment or a series of, you know, experiences that kind of, you know, lead you, led you onto your path that you're on now? Let's see, we'll go for, for the key moments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I am, um, I guess the best way to kind of summarize it up is that I am the offspring of um, largely a Russian Slavic Jew and an Italian Sicilian Catholic uh, and mom one. So we all went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And very early on, I think it was actually in first grade, uh, we had a little trip to the church. And you know, I really didn't like going to church as it is, but I'm like, okay, we're gonna have this little thing and we're gonna walk around the altar, you know, the vestibule, all of that. And where you know, my brothers were both uh, acolytes, you know, mm. altar boys. So, and they're much older than me. So I was like, this is the point where I get to sit where my brothers sit. And like, why not sit where the priest sits? Because why not? And I got sent to the principal's office. Uh, because oh, no. It, it was like, no, because this is this is far enough where there were no um, female acolytes at that time, altar girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, before that, and like, no, you're not supposed to be there. There's not, there's only for, you know, the anointed. And I'm like, this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, like at like six years old, I'm like, this is not right. Uh, and I think that the nuns sort of agreed with me because, you know, it was like the, um, the principal of the school was like, I, I didn't, you know, what are they going to do to a first grader who's just like, this is not right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that kind of set off that whole tone of the relationship of like, well, 
I feel like you should be able to have this direct connection to God and then there shouldn't be the, these intermediaries. And at the same time, I was also spending a lot of time out in the backyard. I had um, my dad and my grandfather built me a little, kind of basically a Baba Yaga's cottage, <laughs> practically. Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah, it was like the little Dutch door, cute little thing. And so I was pretty much out there like by myself, like playing out in the woods, gathering moss, doing all things, collecting seeds and such. And so I was already a little, the little witch lit out in the woods. <laughs> doing doing my cottage thing my baba yaga training and and that sort of set the tone for you know exploring um the world and seeing that was um this was also the time that the uh, mysteries of the unknown series from time life was you know starting to come out and you know very much an avid reader i would you know check out all the books on like outer body experiences and the course on witchcraft and magic and all of these things and so it was already set like that uh, but it wasn't until around my teen years, um, <laughs> instrumental brother, brothers, girlfriends, older women, right, coming into my life being like, you should read The Mist of Avalon. <laughs> oh. And I was like, this is amazing. And it made me so angry at the end. Uh, you know, I don't recommend The Mist of Avalon now, but I mean, at that point, before we knew a lot of things about Marion Zimmer Bradley and other such things, it was like, you know, I was like, why there was this like earth-based religion and goddesses and stuff, and now it's gone. And then a little while later, I found Drawing Down the Moon by Margot Adler. And I was like, wait, it's not gone. There are actually people who do believe in these things. It's not just like for that little tiny part of the library where it's like covered in dust and you're not supposed to go there. <laughs> so that was my, that was the opening up gateways. It was like one little step further down, down until I realized like there are other people out there. Yay. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, Mists of Avalon actually did a book report on the Mists of Avalon. And um, yeah, I mean, we won't talk about Marion Zipper Bradley at all, because, you know, what's the point? But um, one of my most favorite books from like period is <laughs> one of hers called Heartlight. And <laughs> it's, yeah, and it's hard to, you know, it, yeah, it just it really sucks. It really sucks. I think I held on to that little group of series, you know, you know, all the ones that were based in San Francisco and all that, because it was like, and that not too long after that, I was living in California. So it also, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, it's like, I finally got to find, I think when we finally we moved out here, I was like, I'm holding on to this. I'm just going to let it go. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I can't read it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting though. I at, right after saying uh, we're not going to talk about Marion Zimmer Bradley, I'm I'm going to continue the conversation. It's interesting though because all of her occult fiction and her like av I'm just going to you know lump them all into like her Avalon series. <laughs> they all actually tie in all of them, every single book from her first one, The Fall of Atlantis all the way up to Heartlight. Um, they all tie in because um, in the uh, in the Avalon series, they're all, all the main characters are reincarnations of older characters. Mm -hmm. And then into the, all of her occult um, fiction, it's the same characters reincarnated. And, um, uh, Colin McLaren, the, the the hero um, of the um, of her occult fiction, he kind of flits in and out of all the books. Was the reincarnation of Ravina, who was the priest who turned 
black magician that, you know, caused the fall of Atlantis. So it's just interesting how they all really kind of tie in together. But anyways, enough about her because we don't want to talk about her, even though I can talk about those books a lot for <laughs> time because I do love them. So, yeah. So um, as a teenager, so you you discover as a teenager that, oh, this, you know, this is real. Witchcraft, magic and whatnot. What was that like, like that, that sort of like aha moment? Well, it was the, this is all not just in my head. Uh, you know, it's like, I had a natural inclination to, to look at the world and very animistic point of view and to, you know, see, especially with, as an artist, right? To, you create art, you pull things out of the ether, you manifest them they, from your head into your hands and out into the world. And, you know, there's, um, there is magic in that, right? This, to, to pull from nothing and to create like that. And so you can't, you can't really be an artist without already tapping into the other side of things, into the spirit realm and then working with myths and, and all of that. And uh, so like getting that bit of confirmation, I guess, was, was validating. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally, because you're already, um, especially for me, I was like the weird kid, of course, especially was the weird kid at Catholic school uh, and then uh, moved to public school and high school and it was still a bit weird, but they were sort of like, we're not quite sure what to do with you because I was um, got relocated to South Carolina. So they were like, you're, you're weird, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's fine. We just think you're weird because you're from up north. So that's right. <laughs> you're just you're a bit strange. It's fine. Um, <laughs> So there's a bit of, it's also like, um, her, the, the book I just finished is all about the intersection of art and magic. And I was tracing back uh, two particular books outside of the Miss of Avalon um, that really affected my look at magic and my personal practice of art. First is Nick Van Tock's Griffin and Sabine series, uh, as well as his other works too. But that was the, the trilogy was the first thing I, I experienced. And it's this very liminal exploration of, of personality and art and you know and muses and all this great stuff and then Charles DeLint uh, wrote Memory and Dream which is about an artist whose artwork comes to life like her mm. dreams come to life and you're like okay I know this is fantasy but <laughs> you know it's like when you're you know when you're doing ritual and you see a god, whether it's in your head or people see it, you know, we all have our different ways of interpreting the world. And then you put it to paper and you put that experience to paper and other people recognize that experience. I'm like, isn't that sort of the same thing? It's not quite in this fantasy, like, oh, they're coming to life on the page in a Harry Potter sort of way, but it, it still is. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe. Well, you know, I, th I think, I was having a conversation about this with um, Thorn Mooney and someone else. I think maybe Jason Mankey. I can't remember, but just how um, how fiction is sort of well, it exaggerates what we do, of course, but it's it's not so much like an exaggeration as it is creating an outward expression of what we're experiencing mm -hmm. inward like I feel like you know Dr. Strange when I'm in ritual even though 
nothing crazy is going on physically, visually, you know, like no one's going to see me doing ritual and see all of these flashing lights and all of these wonders and whatnot. But that's what you're experiencing in ritual. So it's just, it's, it's, so in that sense, it's not really like an exaggeration of what we do. It's just making it a lot more artistically appealing, you know, because you can't, you know, if, if you're going to create a movie about magicians or witches, you can't really have, you know, half an hour segments of the LBRP, <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's a translation of, of the feelings and what the actual experience is yeah. um, for a variety of different ways of thinking. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so I mean, yeah, sure, it's an exaggeration technically, but, you know, just like, a, just in the fact that it's, they're making it like a physical real world experience instead of more of a, a spiritual inner experience so and that's why i say like you know we always scoff when you know these christian groups are like oh we got to ban harry potter books they promote witchcraft and we're like no 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 yes yes they do <laughs> yes dungeons and dragons harry potter the whole shebang yes it promotes witchcraft and magic uh because that's where we all get our influences from is through fiction when we're kids because otherwise where where when you're a kid and you don't know magic is real where's your inspiration mm -hmm. if, you if touchstone to in yeah, order to, exactly. to figure that out exactly with me it was through dungeons and dragons you know so and and you know younger generations harry potter that's what I mean, that's just the reality. Yes, they promote witchcraft and magic. So Hollywood, keep doing what you're doing. Doing the work. Yeah, so there you go. Do you remember your first um, sort of, I, I'm just going to say genuine, because um, I think as kids, we all did weird spells and rituals as eight-year-olds, you know, with sticks and a bit of chewing gum but like as, as a teenager when you're like oh this is real witchcraft is actually a thing do you remember your first ritual or spell that you attempted hmm let's see formal ones um like when I go back to childhood I distinctly remember writing in some sort of runes and putting them around the trees to protect the trees which is like oh weird <laughs> weird thing for a kid to do in the backyard because trees are fine uh actually not really because we did have two willows that um eventually um there was a disease that was going through mm. jersey at that time so i guess it was like we're gonna protect the rest of the trees i don't understand species um at a young age uh but as i got older uh, i don't think i really had formalized ritual outside of what i was creating for art mm, okay so, um, I can look at particular pieces of art and feel like that is connection to spirit or diving deeper into myth and connecting with deity. Um, but at the same time, like pretty much when I landed in college and was like, I'm going to find other people, I ended up leading an open path pagan group. And so it was like, all right, well, I'm going to lead ritual. I've read, I've read a lot of books, um, but I'm also going to do it how I think it should be done. And 
that was just like the set off into, well, let's experiment and see what happens. And I still have folks um, 20, 25, 30, 30 years later, they're like, you know, those were some of the best rituals I've ever attended. I'm like, excellent, uh, because they're very ecstatic. And, you know, the one of the most potent ones is I was like, we're going to do a trance meditation. We're going to um, go to a stone circle and the horn god will meet us there. And as I'm leading this, I hear someone come up the stairs and stand behind me. And I'm like, who's coming to the ritual late? You know, like, this is really rude. And I turn around, there's nobody there. Mm. But it smells like goat. Oh, wow. <laughs> so like, well, I guess that worked. I wonder who that could be. Anybody <laughs> out there, listeners? I, I, 30 years later, we still don't know. Who knows, a mystery. I experienced like that when I was, um, I was in my, I guess, God, when was this? It would have been in my mid-20s. I went back to school. I got my natural healthcare practitioner certification. And part of that course was Reiki. And we were in one class and we had a rule. The teachers had a rule. Um, if the doors close, like if, if you're late for class, the doors close, you don't get to come in. <laughs> but people still would. And there was, a, a, in, in one room, there was a couch just along the wall by the door. So people would like, kind of like quietly sneak in and sit on the couch to be as unobtrusive as possible. And I remember um, one of our Reiki classes, I heard the door open, someone come in and then stand right behind my left shoulder mm -hmm. and I feel them. I can hear them and they're breathing on me and it's getting like, it was annoying. Then it was getting more annoying, more annoying, more annoying. So I finally spun around. I'm like, would you just sit down? And everyone just kind of stopped because it was quiet time because this is Reiki class and there was no one there. And I look back in the instructor and, and she was like, that was one of them. I'm like, yeah, I, I got that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. The memo now. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and I never did Reiki again. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I think some of my most, um, I don't know in, if I would say interesting or powerful experiences was when I was a, a teenager doing ritual with my friends and kind of having an idea of ritual what ritual should be like but you know not quite really being able to dissect ritual and all the symbolism and meanings of everything blah 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 blah, blah. so you just kind of you know do what you, you think is right and what's going to work and I, I often think back to though that beginning um sort of experience and kind of wonder like is I sometimes wonder if we lose something with um with more teaching and, and knowledge and you know rules and you know if if sometimes we kind of lose the the wonder and the the what if and let's just see what happens kind of thing with magic I think that can be possible when people get so hung up on like, like the more, you know, and then suddenly worry about, am I doing it wrong? Mm. Where, when you don't know, you're like, how do I know I'm doing it wrong? Yeah. And then I think you also get to the other side of that mountain and you're like, fuck it. 
Um, any, anything's possible. Um, so, you know, it's that re reconnecting with the sense of exploration. Uh, I feel like I can credit Catholic school for having a, you know, giving a very excellent understanding of how rituals should work or shouldn't work. Right, right. Uh, early on. And when I, um, you know, started reading all the different books out there, I'm like, this is an interesting idea, but I don't really think this quite works uh, because it's good ritual for a book. Is this ritual for living and for mm -hmm. the experience? And I always was like, let's, let's go for how's this feel and being able to change things in the moment, which I think also, you know, factors into my background as an artist, as well as a dancer, right? I'm very much an improvisational dancer. I'm not a choreograph um, leaning <laughs> kind right. of person. Uh, it's like, if we need to change, we can change it in the moment. It's fine. I'd rather go with it rather than continue on this like dead journey. But I think so many folks feel like, well, here's the structure and I have to stick to the structure and you know, I'll get, maybe I'll get the guaranteed result, but it's like, they're more focused on the procedure than the experience itself. And it's like a dancer who only does choreography and thinks about what step is next. And you're never there in the moment, in the music, in the movement. And like, this is a dance. The dance isn't happening in those choreographed steps. The dance is happening as you're connecting to the music, the audience, um, the spirit, whatever it is in that moment. And so I, I hope that folks get closer to that. That's kind of my, my one of my little pet peeves is like, first, Yes, magic is real. Second of all, if you're going to do ritual, do it like you want it to go somewhere rather than like, oh, this is just what I'm supposed to do. Right. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, for for all of us that, you know, come to the the magical community and, and stick with it, um, I think we have our ups and downs where, you know, we're like, I'm a clueless teenager. Oh, and now I'm an experienced whatever. Like I joined Obod, so I had a bit of structure. And then you kind of go down, like, screw it. I'm just gonna do whatever. I, I think I, I, you know, I think most of us go up and down. I don't think we, you know, get to a certain point and just stay there. You know, like uh, especially with me with um, my like, because again, because I'm I'm a druid. But I also practice uh, the Golden Dawn system of magic, which, you know, looks very structured, very formalized and whatnot. And you can certainly get caught up in the step one, step two, step three. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how it's supposed to go. Blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, I'm, I'm in this like right now, this like, fuck it. Let's just see what's going to happen. Let's try this. Let's try that. It may fail horribly. And that's actually a good thing because it, because you tried, you know, if you don't know, like, if you don't know whether or not something's going to work, what are you going to do? Just sit there for the next 10 years debating it? Or are you just going to try it? I'd rather fail spectacularly than not try something at all nothing's going to grow wrong more. yeah absolutely i mean it's, it's i'm not going to accidentally open up a pit of hell and a demon's not going to drag me under you know what i mean like it's yeah just try it like who cares 
who cares you know and i'm sure after a while i'll go back to you know proper forms and rules and whatnot for a while and that'll get stale again and then i'll just say fuck it i'm try this you know why not i mean it's magic there there is something comforting and reassuring especially when you're doing group group ritual right where everybody knows um, knows what the response is and know where you're supposed to do this. And there, there's the theater of that, like that, that mm-hmm. really kind of comfortable theater that is communal. Like it is, it's more about the human communal experience in those moments, um, which is a little bit different than the experimental and ecstatic moment as well. But then at the same time too, right? If you build up a familiarity with what this could be, like the container is at least like, um, then you can explore and have the comfort, um, yeah. which like there's so much room. It's like, it's not, it's not just this two ends of the spectrum. There's like, this, you know, really wide golden mean of what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, again, this is, and I get, you know, beginners, you know, just discovering magic for the first time and, and reading the books and whatnot. I get the, the rule. And I mean, there's, there's, you, I mean, you, you need to learn your shit, mm-hmm. learn your shit, you know, be proficient. Um, the do's and don'ts, the ins and outs, you know, learn all that stuff. Um, and then occasionally just throw it out the window as needed, try something, why not, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I get, you know, sort of falling into that, trap of of structure of of rules where they're hard and fast and there's no um there's no bending them or any you know like it's okay you know if you're in that point you know as a beginner because again learn your shit and then you can start asking well why if this is a rule you know quote unquote why Mm -hmm. well find out find out and you know what just because it's in a book doesn't mean it's right so you're going to find out if it's you know uh, a good rule to follow or if it's just someone's bullshit that just ended up on on a page and you know like you were you were saying uh earlier about a ritual like oh this ritual is good for this book but is it good for for life and one thing i've noticed is you can kind of tell the difference um in books like what rituals are included in this book that are included because that's what they do mm-hmm. in their lives and what was created for that book. You can tell, you know, with with some experience, you can tell the difference between the two. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a... And there's also the, I'm just going to put this in here because this is what people are expecting. And I still actually don't know. (laughs) You get that sense of like, yeah, you just, you know, we're told to put this in here. Yeah. Or, you know, like you, I mean, if if you are, you know, contracted to write a book on X subject, you know, you need to fill up the book with X subject. So, you know, I guess you're, you're going to create things and I'm not saying it's, that's a bad thing. You know, it's not like, oh, well, these rituals aren't genuine because, you know, I can write a ritual in 
you know, the next five minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, just because it's in a book doesn't mean it's going to translate well into real life, you know, so you may need to, you know, you try, you're like, well, this isn't working. Okay. Well, what, what do you need to change? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's okay too. Yeah. Can be inspiration for the next step. Exactly. Or what not to do. That's all. I always like that thing. It's like sometimes what you you see and experience can be what to do, and sometimes it's what not to do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Do you have anything like in in that sort of formative phase of your magical life? Uh, anything where you're like. I did X and I'll never do that again because it was a horrible outcome. I don't mean like, like necessarily spells gone awry or, or, or anything like that, but just like, that wasn't a good idea. Um, That might be a tough question. I don't know. I feel like it goes more into the realm of fire safety, which, you know, I wrote the witch's cauldron. There's like all these little fire safety things. And I remember my editor going like, did people really need these? I'm like, if it's in this book, somebody, possibly me, has done it, or I know other people have done it. Um, so um, I can't quite remember. There are two situations that I was within my sphere of experience. I can't say I was personally responsible for, but I also didn't stop it um, until it was too late. One was um, we were doing a ritual indoors because it was raining or bad weather or something. It was here in Rhode Island. So it was either humid, wet or freezing cold. And uh, so we did like in my living room with a little cauldron and you're like, we're gonna, we're gonna invoke the elements and we're gonna throw some herbs into the cauldron. Somebody put in the dried eucalyptus that's like part of, you know, um, flower arranging, <laughs> bad stuff, stuff you should not burn. So yeah, just because it's, it looks sort of natural and seems like it's a bad idea. Um, luckily we have windows so yeah. that, you know, so don't burn random shit that you don't know what's going to do without proper ventilation. Uh, the other thing is, if you're like, we don't have a big enough cauldron for this ritual, will this hibachi work? <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to put the hibachi uh, cauldron on this table for our Samhain ritual. And somebody decided that part of it was they were going to put candles inside the fire. So candle, well, wax down through the trap down into the table whoosh oh my word that's so, hilarious so luckily we got the fire out it's fine i still have that table it did survive um but putting melted wax things into a container of any kind of sort that you know has, it's going to drip onto wood and fabric and such is a terrible idea so yeah it's it's not that any sort of spiritual god magic things have gone wrong but some of the technical physical stuff that just can ruin <laughs> I yeah I, I I think not enough books uh there, there's so much that we as practitioners take for granted uh mm-hmm. that we learn through experience um that you know I get a lot of questions of course from my business um I get a lot of questions about you know burning candles and burning incense and whatnot and when I first started well, not when I first started the business, but when it started really growing, 
um, I'd get, you know, people emailing me or, or messaging me on social media and they'd I'd be asking me questions. And at first I'm like, how do you not, how, why are you asking this question? Like, how do you not know? And like, oh no, Sean, like burning incense isn't taught in schools. Like someone at some point is going to burn incense for the first time. Like there's going to be a first time for them. Yeah. Um, I learned, you know, like burning loose incense with the charcoals and whatnot and safety precautions from someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's not an inborn um, set of knowledge that you're born with. You know what I mean? And it, it amazes, it amazed me the, the types of questions that I was getting. It's like, you know, yeah, none of this is in, is in any books on magic. You know, none of this practical stuff that to us is say, uh, second nature, but yeah. And then you just end up with horror stories and people, people love, love sending me photos of them using my products and I love it and I love it. Um, but not when they send me photos of say my scented candles, they're wrapped in cellophane and then the paper label over top. But on the, the, the top of the candle, there's like a, a plastic disc with a couple of holes. Mm -hmm. So you can actually smell the scent and the wick is through the central hole. So a lot of people think it's a great idea to just light the candle with the plastic disc and the cellophane and the paper and like, oh, look, Sean, I'm using your candle. Isn't it great? And I'm like, no, it really isn't because my candle's going to burn down your house. Yeah. You know, and yeah, so it's just like really like stuff that's second nature to us, but not everyone um gets you know not, not everyone everyone knows so yeah those those uh do's and don'ts like of, of the more practical nature um i think should be a little more prominent in in books i mean if, if you're like if you're announcing on social media i'm gonna write a beginner's book on witchcraft then make it a beginner's book on witchcraft okay. and and you know talk about um how putting a charcoal disc on a plate on a dinner plate um isn't going to end well you know uh just things like that that uh people do yeah don't don't hold it as you're lighting it get the, yeah <laughs> you don't you don't and in the moment like why did they set the carpet on fire because you dropped it because you didn't know it was going to spark i mean most it doesn't really say that on the package and how many people have that experience they don't then we think about lighting candles right it's like oh, of course everybody knows how to light a candle there are better ways to light a candle and to engage that wick there are other ways to blow it out but we get the oh you should you do you blow the magic away it's like where there are reasons why these techniques are it's not just in the myth it's the this doesn't get wax all over your shit yeah that's yeah. why we do this yeah yeah and you know like i, I i'm supposed to be a candle expert i mean whatever i just make candles um 
I was uh, doing ritual at, at uh, um, I have a, a group here and we were at one of the ladies' houses and I brought some beeswax candles, some of my like, like big pillar candles and we did the ritual and I'm trying to blow them out afterwards and they just wouldn't go out. And I don't blow hard because <laughs> you don't blow hard on, you know, liquid wax for obvious reasons. And it just wouldn't go out like the way they normally do. So I finally, <gasps> and just wax just splattered everywhere. It's like, that's such an amateur move and on my part, but you know, I didn't bring my um, candle snuffer. She didn't have a candle snuffer. Um, so it's just like, I'm just going to blow out the candles and they just wouldn't blow out. And I just got frustrated and it just, the wax ended up everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Like, yep, that's great. Where's the wine? Yeah. You blame it on the ritual. Yeah. I, was, I think there was, um, back in 2001, I was at a pagan leader summit and whatever ritual we did in the gymnasium because that was the space that was available i remember afterwards we're all like on the floor with credit cards and stuff scraping the wax off the floor mm. so you're like you have pagan elders from like all over north america and there's still wax on the floor yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny that's funny um so going back to your life um you said you were in college and you, you started this pagan group mm -hmm. or what pagan or we we called it uh, a pagan society pagan so society. the cauldron of a noon or anwin uh, pagan society um, just because it was sort of un, all, all encompassing and kind of inclusive so we're like okay. yeah pagan yeah that's a good word back then <laughs> and then where did that lead you like as uh, like you said, like you're like, well, I'll I'll write the rituals, blah 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 blah. So, kind of like a, a natural ritualist. Oh, yeah. Like I like there's a certain order to things. Uh, so what was happening about that time? Uh, as I was exploring what's you know, in this area and such, and I knew um, had a, a very good friend who was in uh, one tradition that's is very Wiccan witchcraft. And I was like, mm, that's, not, that's not quite what I want. Uh, and so I'm like, let's go a little bit more eclectic and see what's, what can, can happen here. And as we pulled the group together, uh, cause I'm like, just to see how this goes and what people are attracted to this kind of ritual versus that kind of ritual. And from that, I got a core group of people who were interested in a particular style. So now we're pulling in people from everywhere. It started as a college society and then went to like, people like, well, I'm not your college, but I'm at this college. Like, ah, why not? Mm. Well, I'm college age, but I'm not in college. Eh. Like I'm pagan. All right, great. You know, so like we got to be one of the largest open path groups in New England um, very quickly. Oh, but how, uh, but, big, how big did it get? Um, I think at that time when we had our Samhain rituals in Sutton Beltane, we had um, upwards of 175 to 200 people. Wow. So yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like this area, people don't think, oh, it's not that 
<laughs> there's not that there's a lot rhode island was founded by basically heretics and pirates um and deviants <laughs> um and that has never gone away so right. there's 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 so much everyone thinks of salem but they're like i think per capita like how many witches and magical practitioners there are just within this state and southeastern massachusetts and connecticut is just insane and people come from anywhere they're like they'll all drive down from new hampshire for this sure um so you know had this big group and of course with a, a large group where you're being inclusive you you like well everybody's welcome but then you think maybe with these five or six people we have a closer relationship and so we're also going to work on our ideas on the side and so that's part of how the modern tradition came into being was with that core group so we have big public rituals that were for everybody and at the same time refining um, this tradition of witchcraft that was very you know, ecstatic and animistic at the same time and based into um, what's happening in, in our area, you know, connected to the land. Uh, and so that was happening, though when I graduated and moving to California, so it was like, well, bye everybody. <laughs> I'm gonna go 3000 miles the other direction. Um, and so that kind of changed the, a lot of the trajectory of things, but uh, it was pretty crazy. Did the group survive your move? Uh, not exactly. Again, right, so keeping in mind that this is happening from like 18 to 21, uh, and somehow I'm leading this group at that age, which is still mind-blowing now. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. But, but you know, I had people who were three times my age who were like, oh, yes, this is a good, great idea. This is very good. <laughs> because they just like me what's going on but when i moved i was like i don't know who's going to be able to take this over so the tradition itself went on but none of the folks in the tradition wanted to really take over the large group mm -hmm. and um so it just sort of dissipated right, right. Um, as things do yeah uh, and i mean you can't people like are you gonna go ahead. you can't blame them like that's a large group to you know corral and yeah yeah, yeah. it's and they, most people just sort of went to other groups or more, um, they at least got introduced to other groups in the area, whether Jura groups or Wiccan groups and eclectic groups, et cetera. And they kind of, I guess, just, you know, kind of found their niche. You know, there's also a lot of uh, heathens and Satru. So folks who are more like into that found those groups. So I guess we, we birthed many smaller groups right. through that. And, uh, but now like, when I moved back, they're like, you're gonna start it up again. I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm older and wiser. Now. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm older, wiser and tired. Yeah. Like, oh my God, how much energy did I have? Because I was also like finishing up going to college. I was married. I was also um, part of Crescent Magazine. So I'm like editing a magazine and doing art and stuff. Like the amount of shit that I was doing at that time was like, I wish I could have bottled that and just like held it. Oh, I know, right? I know. Yeah. Especially now with me on my busy times, like right now when I'm like working 14 hours a day. It's like, where was that energy? I used to have it, you know. And then pandemic on top of it. It's like, well, why does this suck to like, you know, it's very much like the Princess Bride. We have sucked away. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So you move so you moved to California and well why did you move to California? 
So one of the folks that I founded the tradition with, um, she's originally from the Bay Area, and she's like, you should move to the Bay Area. And uh, my um, husband at the time was also originally from the Bay Area, had moved out to the East Coast. And I was like, this seems like the perfect thing. So just uh, left the East Coast, went to California, and did that for six years until decided to move back to the East Coast and uh, bounced around the East Coast. And I moved to Seattle <laughs> and back to the East Coast. So I do at least about six years wherever I'm at. Mm, okay, okay. It's my cycle. <laughs> Mine is four and five years. I've moved around a lot and I used to move for work a lot. So I, I tend to do four or five years and then off I go. Although there was a point where I was moving once a year yeah. Um, that was fun. Well, but you know, you also perfect the art of moving. Like I, mm-hmm. I could have everything unpacked and set up all boxes empty in a day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just cause you just get so proficient at, at, uh, at the process, you know, yeah. after a day of unpacking, setting things up, the place looks like it's been lived in, you mm-hmm. know, but yeah, that's, that's still, you know, that, that can be, that kind of lifestyle can be a little rough, but so did you, when, so when you moved to California, did you get your tradition going there with uh, new people or was this sort of like a sort of, well, I, I don't want to say a hibernation period, but you know what it, I mean. It did. It, uh, well, so the drastic thing, first of all, so here in New England in the nineties and the early O's, uh, it was a slightly different time, right? So with um, being a pagan, being a witch, um, was sort of extremely revolutionary. You know, it wasn't really um, commonly accepted, still really high rates of um, discrimination and all of that. So I think that helped make the community here very close knit because you had kind of, not to say a common enemy, but at least a, a common cause. Yeah. And then moving to the Bay Area, which is so diverse, you know, you have people who are like, I work with an atheist and a Hindu and a Jew and a, you know, and a Mormon. And, oh, so what, you're which? Okay, whatever. Um, yeah. and, you know, and it's funny that like, so we put on the first pagan pride here in Rhode Island and I went to the first San Francisco, not the first one, but one of the early San Francisco pagan prides. And it was the same amount of people like, Oh, how can you have 200 people here and barely 200 people in the Bay area where I'm like, they're swarming. Like there's so many more pagans here. And they're like, Neh, what's there to be proud about? <laughs> we had this every day. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, that was sort of a, a shift, right? Because it was less of like, well, we have to, we have to organize, we have to do these things. But I still was networking. And so that's where um, I met Anar, who is part of the fairy tradition, Anderson fairy tradition. Um, we started dancing and working and creating art together. So there was that. And, you know, the other person I founded the tradition with was out there. So we're kind of, we're doing, you know, we're just doing the work. You know, mm-hmm. it was more about what kind of art that we're creating with dance and other types of creativity. Um, versus that and trying to also help the folks who were still back here in the east coast which it was a disconnect I mean, it's still the early days of the internet so trying to you know deal with family issues right <laughs> not communicating well because most of these people are also in their 20s and 30s and so we're not the best communicators 
Uh, so it became a bit of a, um, a hiatus from the group work and more solo unless it was for performance or for education. So um, doing it through dance, doing things at PantheaCon uh, and that sort of thing. So it, it was a still very active, but a different type of focus. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So when you moved back to the East Coast the first time, so it was East Coast, Bay Area, East Coast, Seattle, East Coast. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you went back to the East Coast the first time, was it like, okay, I can sort of like pick up where I left off or were, was things very different? Well, so when we moved to back to the East Coast, it was uh, New Jersey, South, um, South Jersey, Philadelphia mm -hmm. area. Because um, part of it was my grandparents were getting very up in age and wanted to be closer to them before they passed. Uh, and South Jersey, people think of New Jersey is <laughs> like just basically an annex of New York, but most of South Jersey, as well as part of North Jersey, is very, very rural, um, very suburban and rural. Mm -hmm. So uh, what happened was, and like, well, I don't know what's going on down here because it's just very much in the boonies. And it turned out as I was teaching uh, belly dance classes that some of my students were like, we're kind of in this coffin <laughs> from somebody else who kind of was got her degree online and like, oh, oh, let's just try for community, right? <laughs> for <laughs> community's sake. Uh, and so I started to kind of tentatively feel things out, um, but didn't quite find that home because it just it still wasn't. You know, it was very much they were doing it by the book. You know, one of the rituals I remember were like in the South Cape May, which is where there's a giant lighthouse. It's huge. It's like 215 feet tall, the Cape May lighthouse. And, and they're like, okay, now we're going to call upon the God in which we should face that direction. I'm like, why don't we face the direction of the giant phallic 200 foot thing over there? <laughs> call the God that way. And they're like, like <laughs> What? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's that that works for me. We're uh, right next to a huge penis. Penis. Yell it's at got it. a light on it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I you know I, I am a bit of a heretic and a blasphemer, pretty much in any <laughs> in any case I come across. Um, so yeah, I, I think they were about they were like half people were like yes, and the other people were like oh we can't do that. Uh, so. It, it, it took a while, <laughs> but I always, actually it was the shortest day. I think the year was 2000 in New Jersey was 2007 to 2009 until I ended back in Rhode Island again. Uh, so, but it did end up being a full six years between New Jersey and Rhode Island, which is where I was sort of poking back out, but it wasn't until I was in Seattle is when I went full back and like, let's see what's happening because because there was a bit of a lull like when you think about the 90s and early o's right there's a big boom yeah. um for for paganism and witchcraft and the occult and then it just sort of got quiet you know those late <laughs> the late o's into the early teens and that's why i'm like let me see what's going on and the seattle community is very eclectic and weird and strange too uh so that was very reaffirming to find like oh there are people who are focused on academic side and also not caught up into all this stuff like they've grown past those books that were somewhere questionable and have found better material and are less assholes about everything <laughs> so that was fun yeah 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 
Well, I mean, Seattle's always been weird, you know, mm-hmm. and I, 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 and right now, um, I find that there's a lot of, a lot of shit happening, um, in Seattle and that area. And, uh, I think it's, it's a good, it's a good hub right now, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, you know, that law that you were talking about, I wonder you see, you know, sometimes I, I, I guess, pretend I'm a sociologist, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder about our, our behaviors as humans and that lull in the community. Because I just felt like we were, we were thriving and growing and everything was colorful and beautiful and really amazing. And then it just kind of poof. Mm-hmm. for a while and I wonder if that was because I mean we're of an age where the internet in our formative years was so not what it's like today mm-hmm. it wasn't that as accessible and it wasn't you know instant communication and you know face to face and 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 what it is today. So I wonder, I've, I, I kind of wonder if the, the ease of online communication created that, that lull, because, you know, we used to go through such extraordinary efforts to come face to face, you know, whether it's, it's uh, a public ritual or a festival or a moot or, or whatever, like we're just so desperate for connections and now, and not to downplay online connections. Cause you know, I'm the type of person, like I'm really easy with the F word friend word where I'm like, if I communicate with you a few times on Twitter, we're friends. Like we're just, we're friends, you know, cause why not? Like why, why not? be friends with everybody why not consider everybody friends instead of just strangers or assholes or Mm -hmm. enemies you know what I mean so not to downplay online connections I just mean like once you know that online connection became a lot easier more accessible and whatnot I, I did that cause that kind of lull because it's like well you know, do I really need to get up off the couch? Because I can just, you know, log into Facebook into, you know, witchy, whatever group that on Facebook that I'm a member of, and that's good enough. I think, yeah, the the, the familiarity can breed contempt, um, Mm. sort of laziness. But when I look back at what also is going on, um, because the, there's also a trajectory with the dance community of where it was thriving and booming and booming and going and going. And then around 2008, shit started to hit the fan and things changed. Part of that, I think, is um, the majority of folks I know at the time were using tribe.net mm. for communication, which was really easy right and so it was easy to connect with folks it was easy to have communication um it was a little more exciting than irc (laughs) 
right? Um, you know, with pictures. Yeah. And then that blew up and then we're like trying to get onto Facebook, right? So like you have a, a fairly tight knit community that's been dispersed and people are trying to find each other. And um, you also had like the early um, invasions of uh, live journal right, with the Russians and the changes happening there. So that's sort of disrupting those online groups as well. So we're, we're changing that. So what we're familiar with is becoming less comfortable. But then you also had in 2008 was the economic economic crash, right? Major uh, impact on how oh, right. yeah. their free time, which really was huge on the dance community. So I did two tour, two nationwide tours. One in 2006, which was at boom level, right? And people are, every workshop is full. People are excited. Every show's full. People are buying stuff. They're just throwing money around like anything. And then in 2009, I did another tour where they're still putting their butts in the workshops and they're still coming out to the shows, but they're like, I only, I can either do the class or the show. Mm -hmm. I, you know, they're not buying extra stuff. They're not doing the merch. And I think that is true for all across the board. It's not just dance. It was how much extra money do you have to buy these books on witchcraft or these candles or these other things? And if you don't have people buying things, I know this gets into commerce and capitalism and all that, but really if your metaphysical shops are your communal hubs where the classes and workshops and events are happening and people are not buying the products, right? And they can't really afford the classes anymore, then you can't pay your rent, which means that the space closes. Yeah. And, and I can think of all the shops that closed up them and so you again like we're losing those spaces online that we're familiar with we're also losing our in-person spaces as well so i think it sort of was a two-fold approach yeah 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 no i forgot about uh 2008 with the uh with the economic collapse i wasn't even thinking about that i had moved to everyone knows i'm i'm canadian i'm, I'm here in canada um but in 2008 i moved to texas uh Houston um for work and I really my like my company wasn't affected by the 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 crash uh it took Texas a really long time to start feeling it and it you know it certainly wasn't as devastating there as it was other parts of mm -hmm. of the the U.S. um I mean it's it's oil rich you know um it it has a you know, uh, a certain level of, of insulation. Houston was fantastic. Oh, I loved living there. Such a great city. There's, there's some amazing places in Texas and, and people think about the South and they think it's poorer for this, that, and the other reasons. But like my family moved at South, South Carolina, as I mentioned, I went to high school down there. That was in the nineties when we had another economic bust, right? And so the, the South was thriving. It was a decent economic culture. And so that's why we moved down there. Um, and it's still, and the same thing with the, with the shifting of in 2008, 2009, it still was decent on tour in the South where it wasn't in other places. So right. fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so many of my friends, I remember um, when, when I announced I was moving to Texas, oh, but you're gay. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still allowed in, but, but you know, there, but there's also that whole perception, you know, conservative, homophobic, blah, 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 which of course is true. Cause I mean, that exists everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, 
Um, but um, no, I mean, we're talking Houston. And I also lived in Austin. So <laughs> you, you, yeah, you can't really, you know, look at Houston and Austin and be like, oh, so conservative. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's, big, that's big blue dots. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, big blue dots that I would move back to in a heartbeat. Um, if just for the climate. Well, maybe, you know, I guess maybe not so much. I, like three months after I moved to Houston, Houston got hit by Hurricane Ike. It was the first direct hit by a hurricane in 24 years. Mm-hmm. And me being from Canada, Central Canada, um, and I live in the Canadian Shield, and it's called the Canadian Shield because it basically protects this area from um, major weather. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't get tornadoes and, you know, uh, again, we're in central Canada that we don't get hurricanes. So three months after moving to Texas to, you know, be living through a hurricane, that was fun. That was so much fun. Um, I, you know, I never lost power. I had air conditioning. I had cable. I had my internet, da, 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 da. But I had friends that didn't have power for four months afterwards. Like it was pretty brutal. It was really brutal. And you could see the um, the psychological toll it was taking on them, at, 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 you know, week after week after week, just how, how hard it was on them. And you can just see them. Oh, it was, it was, yeah, it was rough for the people that went four months without power, it was really rough. But now, yeah, I mean, hurricanes and, and in the, the wintertime when oh, yeah. you know, they, they had that storm and their in, entire like power infrastructure. Yeah. Yep. yeah, maybe maybe not so much wanting to move back to Texas anymore. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should just rethink that. I just hate winter. Honestly, I just hate. I just hate winter. I, I hate snow. I hate shoveling it. I hate the colds. Um, I just hate winter. So, you know. Yeah, it, it it was a bit of a you know moving back from Seattle to Rhode Island. It's like mm, snow because it doesn't really snow in Seattle. Like it gets little tiny bits of snow, but it like it you look at it and it melts. Uh, which yeah. is good because the whole city is built on hills. So it's not really, <laughs> right. not really great, but I have to say the real estate in, in New England is much more affordable <laughs> than the entire West coast. So, right. Yeah. I'll yeah. take the snow. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It's expensive out there. Mm-hmm. It really is. Houston was so dirt cheap. The real estate was, it was crazy. I was looking at houses um, well, originally I was looking at houses like, well, I'm in a, a 1200 square foot one bedroom apartment, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Like that's big for a one bedroom. Well, I mean, it had a den, but technically it was a one bedroom. So like every room was oversized. I mean, the, the bathroom was 10 foot by 10 foot. I mean, it just, everything was bigger and it had 16 foot cathedral ceilings. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm in a 1200 square foot apartment. I mean, technically I don't need even that much space, but whatever. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to look at 1600 square foot. Did I say that? 1600 square foot homes. Cause I don't need anything too big. 
I wonder what that would cost. And they were like $120,000, $130,000, which is crazy. I mean, yeah. I'm in Canada. Everything's expensive in Canada. Um, our average house price right now is like $650,000. Yeah. Um, and then my parents came to visit and they're like, oh, it's so great, blah, 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 blah. Now we know where we're going to spend six months out of the year when we retire. And I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> 1600 square feet is not going to cut it. So, and like I said, this is like $120,000, $130,000. So I'm like, well, what could I get for $250,000? Like 5,000 square foot homes. Mm -hmm. like crazy, crazy. And I'm like, I, and again, being, you know, from Canada, uh, you know, and I'd moved from Toronto to the States and, you know, real estate here in Canada is expensive period, but then, you know, Toronto or Vancouver, it's just absolutely crazy. So I'm like, my condo in Toronto was 750, 750 square feet, I think it was. And that was $215,000. So now I'm looking at 5,000 square foot houses for 250,000. It was insane. It was, it was insane. And when I first moved down there, my friend Chris was driving like, oh, let show you around our neighborhood. And we went here and there and blah, blah, blah. And then we turned down this street and he's like, yeah. And these houses are like $250,000. Can you imagine? He's like, can you imagine that's so much money. Meanwhile, I'm like, can you imagine how cheap those are? I'm like, I'm going to, I'll take 10. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy 10. <laughs> that one, that one, and that one. Yeah, like, I'll, let me buy 10 of them and I'll rent out nine of them. Um, because like, that's nothing for the, for these houses. It's crazy. Yeah, mm -hmm. completely, completely different world. Yeah. Oh, I loved it down there. So freaking great. So great enough about me and I don't want to talk about Houston because I just I just get a little too nostalgic and I start thinking like it's not that hard to move right why not yeah. <laughs> it is now you know like as a business owner I can't just pick up and go like I used right. to and I mean also too like I moved down there uh, for work because you can't just you know wake up in Canada one day and be like I'm moving to the states like it doesn't work that way you know mm -hmm. I can't just you know, cross the border and be like, I live here now, you know, give me a green card. It just doesn't work that way. It's a little bit more. A little one, bit. Of, one of my very good friends is, is from Quebec. Um, and yeah, how, all, all the things that, that she has been through with job stuff and, you know, all it's really complicated. It's I lucked out because I was able to get a TN uh, visa. Technically, it's not a visa, but through Trade NAFTA, and it um, I was able to like with the the TN status, I was able to get a an American uh, driver's license, uh, social uh, security number, credit, basically all the perks of a green card, without green card permanent resident status so it was you know I lucked out that way but there's mm -hmm. you know uh there's different like work visas that you just don't get you know it's just it's not the same and it's not easy it's not easy and it's expensive you have to go through all the lawyers and it's really expensive so no I'm just gonna um deal with the snow 
for her inevitable while, I guess. So there you go. Anyways, that's boring. Um, uh, um, yeah, anyways. So you're back on uh, the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And um, at what point, this is something I, I'm always fascinated about. At what point did you wake up and be like, I need to write a book? Like where, where, you know, what fascinates me about that is like, where does that thought come from? Like people need to hear what I have to say. When, when I was, um, I just moved back, uh, moved to California. Uh, I had, you know, being involved in, in pagan publishing and such and thinking like, you know, there really isn't something out there that says what I think needs to be said. Uh, bless my own heart. <laughs> and there is there is a level of ego involved in being a writer, being a musician, mm-hmm. actor, like putting yourself out there in public, being like, pay me to look at me, hear me, or read me. I mean, there, there you know, there's a level of ego involved, of course. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a Gemini, so I'm all about communication. <laughs> like, I must communicate in some way, be it art or dance or writing. So I had started um, putting notes together for writing a book um, uh, that I thought would be a little bit more up to date. Mm. Um, because, you know, looking at a lot of the books, you know, outside of like the popular stuff in the 90s, I was going back to things that were written in the, the 70s and 80s, right? And I'm like, these are good, but they don't, they aren't updated enough for now. Mm. Uh, and my attempts to start writing a book was sorted by hard drive failure and <laughs> a complete uh, motherboard fry, which took out that. So I was like, well, perhaps that is a sign from the universe, which it was. It was a very good sign because you should not write a, major treatise about witchcraft in your mid-20s <laughs> at least that's how I feel I feel very 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 thankful because I was quite the asshole then I mean I'm, I'm a fair amount of asshole now but <laughs> um it was a bit, I had I had a lot of I had a lot of um a lot of feelings right um, a lot of stuff so um I think that was good so what happened though is you know as I kind of re-entering um in the the early teens of the you know the 2000s getting back into things and going well I'm teaching about art and magic so what if I propose a book about the intersection of art and magic and I went to Pantheon and decided let me just throw this at Llewellyn and see what happens and I talked to I got Bill who's the the public Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Lux Files. I'm not just the host of this podcast. I'm also the owner of Lelo Gonzalez. I make beeswax and scented spell candles, loose stick and liquid incense, anointing rolls and bath salts. So once you're done listening to this episode, why don't you head on over to my website at www.lelokanzawin.com and check out my products. For your convenience, the link to the website is also in the show notes. Sure, right? mm-hmm. the, the guy in charge. Yeah, like, we don't have anything like this. You should totally write this book. Send us the proposal, and I'm like, great, I'll send you that proposal. Which means I pretty much panicked about it. Right. 
yeah like oh i know i have to actually like kind of you know write this thing. Um, <laughs> now to do this thing i have to do this thing and that yeah. was really intimidating because it was so something i was really passionate about and very close to my heart and in that process of like meeting folks from um from Llewellyn, I connected with Alicia, who had um, a little while later had put out a request um, or call for people to write something about cauldrons because they were starting to do the, the tool series. And I'm like, I ran a group whose name had cauldron in the center of it. And because we love cauldrons and we love talking about the mythology of cauldrons and all this stuff, and I bring my big opinions about cauldrons. And so I was like, that, that I'm going to set a, a proposal into. And I got it. Awesome. Uh, and I was, um, it was a kind of a good thing, like, you know, instead of something that's like super deep and close to your heart, it's something like, this is a thing I'm excited about that I can talk to other people um, and do more research about the things I don't because I, I love doing research. Mm. And we'll see how it goes because I know I'm quirky. I have very, you know, some non typical opinions about things, especially non binary th thoughts about some myths and how things are um, symbolized. And we'll see what they do with them. So the witch's cauldron was a test. <laughs> right. And all of the quirky stuff stayed in the book. Nothing that I thought was like, they're going to take this out. They didn't take any of that stuff out, which I was like, this is good. Right. Yeah. See, you know, like they, they kept the stuff, which I think is important uh, because you know, it was different. That was the other thing too. They're like, oh, this is a new take on this. And this is actually really important. This is balanced. And you did the research what a concept so once I did that then I felt like all right now I'm going to slide into something closer it wasn't exactly that initial proposal of the intersection art and magic but it was sigil witchery and that was where I was starting to develop this technique for other people and that was very very close and dear to my heart so that's you know it's about things that I teach that people are like you should write a book on this because this is so accessible and so different and so that's how that progression it went from like the little test book to, I, you know, I teach about this. I want people to be able to do this for themselves. That's, to me, that's what writing books is about, right? Is being able to empower people to learn, to go deeper, to create something that is uniquely them rather than me spoon feeding you. Like you just do this. I'm like, I want you to think, I want you to be creative. I want you to expand your mind and create something that's authentically you. Uh, and so that's, that's how this has all started. Yeah. And you can tell that, um, it's close to your heart, like just reading uh, Sigil Witchery, like you can tell. It's not a book that was written just because you have a contract to fulfill mm -hmm. or because you have a passing interest in, in sigils. Like you can, you can see in that book um, how, how important it is to you and, and how like, like, as you say, like close to your heart, it is like, that's obvious. To, I'm, I'm sure to anyone that has read that book. Thank you. And I, I think it's obvious too, just, just by the reception of the book. I mean, cause it's an incredibly popular book. Yeah, it, it's, I'm, I think we're already on the fifth or sixth printing now. Okay. And it's, it's insane. Um, so like, you know, cause I thought, yeah, there's other books on sigils out there. This is, you know, what's going to happen. And I, I was not prepared for, um, I mean, I, I know how enthusiastic people are in the workshop. So you can have an idea of like when you're teaching something and how people are reacting, but when you are 
you take your physical person out of the equation, it's hard to say, how is this going to be read? How are people going to really receive it outside of me not being there, right? Yeah, Just yeah, yeah. And your, the, the way you create sigils is, I'm going to say unique just for, for the simple fact that in, you know, you pick up any book on magic or any book on sigils and what you're doing is not represented in those books. Mm -hmm. And again, that doesn't mean to say that what you're doing is wrong, obviously. It's just, it's, it's a different take. Um, you know, it's certainly more of a artistic and intuitive take on sigils. So my question is, with the way you, you do your sigils, you know, that are represented in the book, is that, was that something like you had been doing for a very long time, creating sigils? Like, like, does that go back you know, to, to the beginning or how far back does that go? I say it goes back to when I started, um, you know, so I started going to art school three. Okay. <laughs> so my parents like, she's not very coordinated. She can't quite do things. <laughs> art, art is safe. We're going to put in art. Cause I wanted to, you know, it was, this is the time of Mary Lou Retton. So of course I wanted to do gymnastics and I am, was nowhere as coordinated to do gymnastics. They're like, this is safer. Um, she likes to draw. Let's put her in the drawing classes. There you go. Um, and, and by first grade, I was already attending very formal art classes. So, uh, and as you know, kind of mentioned in the beginning, like I'm reading all these books on art history and, you know, and Egypt, Egyptian mythology and hieroglyphics and such. And so that's starting to work its way into my art at a very young age, um, especially um, petroglyphs and cave paintings and all of this early art from all over the world is just absolutely fascinating to me. And I, I was just going about doing how I create art, but it wasn't until I started teaching the visual alchemy class to witches and pagans and magical practitioners where people were like, how are you doing this? <laughs> that I had a guy like, I've been telling myself a story in my head and that these lines have this meaning and that, and just, it makes sense in my head. Mm -hmm. So the method is a deconstruction of um, nearly four decades of how do I put line and shape together um, and have it have meaning and putting it together as a spell. You know, I don't automatically go like, I have to, I have to make a sigil for that. Um, it tends to be more of a, um, a natural, it's an intuitive part of the process of this is what this needs. So, cause I'm in communication with that art, with that idea in the moment. And I think that is actually very close to how a lot of different art is made around the world and has been for thousands and thousands of years. I'm even convinced that Spare's primary method of crafting sigils, which is not um, what we tend to think of with, you know, they tend to think the chaos magic and the sentence sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of it is more organic. Like you can look at that stuff and you know it's more organic and, and less structured like that. I think that's how a lot of folks get into the line and the shape of things. So right. uh, that's that's kind of how it worked. You know, now that you, because I'm, I'm just kind of like visualizing some of your sigils in my head from 
your book, you know, now that you talk about being fascinated by hieroglyphs and petroglyphs, you can kind of almost see that kind of influence in a lot of your sigils. Mm-hmm. It's those those lines and those dots and those marks, you know, so like I talk about in sigil witchery, um, Genevieve von Petzinger's uh, research into 32 signs, like these signs that have been all over the world for, you know, spanning a period of 10,000 years of being used, right? I think that this is really fresh in my head because I'm just, having just written, this is what the ninth book is all about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is the visual alchemy book. So this is the proposal way back then that I was scared to write. And now here it is, uh, is that we, if we pay attention, like, so art making is a survival skill. It is not a hobby, it is not an extracurricular activity. I, I really believe that our ancestors were creating art as part of um, it's part of a memory process, right? To maintain memory, it's about problem solving. Design is all about problem solving, right? That's that's what the heart of design is. And when we start to observe the universe, which side note, witchcraft, magic, right? How much of that is about observation, right? To right. observe, to really look at things, not to just talk at it, but to look at it. We start to see those horizontal lines and the vertical lines and the spirals and the dots. It's like it's in it's in the cellular structure, it's in the plant structure, it's in the fractals, like it's in the universe all around us. And so if we stop ourselves for a moment and start to deconstruct what's going on, that's that's all around us, which is just to me so exciting. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um I read, or was it in your book? Maybe it was your book talking about like the 32 symbol. It must've been in your book. Cause I, I was just gonna say, oh, I read somewhere, you know, last year ish or, or something like that um, about these, these 32 symbols. So it must've been in your book. I, I, it's, it's kind of fascinating at, in, in one way, it's kind of like, well, yeah, obviously, like it, it's so obvious. Everybody should know that. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, just because like, you know, my eyes are open, like, what am I looking at right now? Um, but when it but it's just, you know, things you just don't normally think about, you know, you, you don't walk down the street it's thinking like, oh, there's got to be X number of common symbols that I can see everywhere. You know what I mean? Obviously. So yeah, it's so it's so obvious when you think about it. Um, and and then, then you just start looking around, you're like, oh my God, like, yeah. And kind of have a start. And, and this might just be me. Then I start thinking a little bit more, um, existential and and thinking about those symbols and about some you know initiatory experiences I've had and and um visualizations through ritual and it's like huh this is interesting like it's almost like um how math can can kind of it's like a, a language of the universe, mm-hmm. you know, um, how, 
and I see like I find math very sexy um like it just it's it's sexy math is hot um because you're 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 almost like communicating with the gods with complex math and it's the same thing with these symbols when you when it's pointed out to you in black and white like you did there in in your book um and like I said, you st- I start relating it to what I'm seeing and experiences, spiritual, magical experiences that I've had. Like that, it's just another way. And of course, we all know shapes, geometry, math, mm-hmm. music. It's all connected, and yes. it's all the language of the gods, the language of the universe, and 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 how you're, you know, if you're, you know, if you're of the mindset that you know um, there's a spiritual component to to, to the universe where spiritual beings trapped in physical bodies mm-hmm. then you need a language a spiritual language and music shapes can start getting you there absolutely i i think that if we taught math and magic alongside in school it would be mind-blowing it would it's such a game changer i think about when i was like in about fourth or fifth or sixth grade being made fun of because <laughs> for, for a lot of things, but in particular, like, because I, you know, I did good in math. They're like, you like math. Like, it's such like a bad, like, I, I'm good at it. Doesn't matter. I don't know if I necessarily like it, but I think I go back in time and like, yeah, bitches, I like math. What's, what's your problem with that? Right. You know, it's fine. It's fine. Can't go back. Uh, but yeah like the numbers and and as you said with with music and you look at the scales and all that and then uh like the senses and and you know part of the particles of the universe you know structures of cells atomic structure the the invisible structures of the galaxies you know that science is now like yes there is invisible structures that we can't see that's kind of these things are built on which is all based on these mathematical equations i think like part of sigils why they work and when you recognize that something really works is it's almost like keying in to that pattern like you figured out like this is what i want to manifest this is what the door looks like now i've constructed the key Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is like very very on the higher esoteric realm of like here we go but like what makes sense right like it does with the mathematical language yeah absolutely but you know with um with a lot of path working and you know this isn't something that I have seen at all through all my my years as a pagan um my druid training um you know neo-pagan books I've never seen this um until I started studying the golden dawn is um traveling through sigils to get to the, you know, whatever plane you want to get to, like say you're, you're you know, working with tatwas or you're invoking a spirit and, you know, like you, you use the sigil as a, as a doorway mm-hmm. to get to that, uh, to that spirit. And, you know, and again, you start thinking about 
shapes, sigils, doors, math, music, vibration, and how they all transport you from this point to that point, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. Like it's it just, you know, there's all those connections, those associations. And um, yeah, so when you talk about like a sigil as a doorway, absolutely, absolutely, because a sigil absolutely tr can transport you from here to there the mm -hmm. same way music can, movement, any, any, any expression of art, any, you know, because within that expression of art, you have math. This is so exciting. It's just oh, it's just it's sexy. It's just it's so sexy. And you know, when you have people, I mean, I'm no brilliant mathematician by any stretch of the imagination. But when you have now, I'm all before I say this, I'm gonna qualify this by saying I don't necessarily like a lot of people in, in the occult community like to jump on a lot of um uh quantum theory I was gonna say, you're gonna say the key word <laughs> yeah as proof of magic um type thing like you know you have to be careful with yeah. that now with that being said you know when you listen to open-minded quantum theorists astrophysicists that no, and I'm going to say no, and I'm not going to say speculate or theorize that know that there's more out there than just this physical world, like of what we can touch and see. Um, it, it just, it's exciting and it is sexy. It really is. When you, when you have that intersection of, of um, magic and spirituality and, and science, um, because we, we split those yeah. into two completely separate things and you know like you were saying about you know they should be teaching magic and math in school um back you know tutor age even before that but you know tutor age because i'm thinking of of dr d um calculating um was also called conjuring mm -hmm math was magic and it was scary. And of course, at that time, magic was automatically evil of the devil. So math was scary, evil from the devil. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Why did they think this way? Not the whole like devil evil concept, because I mean, that's, we know, you know, that whole um, propaganda but why did they think math and conjuring were the same thing because we combined the two for millennia mm -hmm. you know there there wasn't a separation and now we separate everything we separate even religion and magic we we yeah. tend to, to separate let alone you know um accepted science sciences like mathematics and 
quantum physics and whatnot. And, you know, that obviously does us a huge disservice when you want to separate everything and, and put everything into its own boxes. A friend of mine who's um, an academic, he said, you know, even in academia, everyone has their specializations and they don't um, collaborate, interact, nothing like that. And he said, you know, like that does uh, the world a huge disservice because if you're just writing just from this one narrow perspective, and I get, you know, if you're specializing in one thing, it's a good thing to, you know, write about that one thing instead of, you know, writing like you're an authority about something you know nothing about. So I get that, but then collaborate. Yeah. You know, especially when, when we're talking about like um, human nature, we're complex beings. Mm -hmm. So if you're specializing in just X and you're writing like human beings are just X, well, we know we're not just X. We're X, Y, and Z plus A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're only looking at this little tiny fraction, this little microcosm, instead of looking at all the other influences yeah. outside of it. And, and how helpful is it to just have a book just about X with no reference to Y and Z? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, okay, well then just get a book on Y and get a book on Z. So now you have all three. So there you go. There's your answer. But there's still a disconnect. You know, mm -hmm. there, there wasn't, there wasn't a, a collaboration because they're not talking about how X, I'm talking about X, I'm writing about X in relation to Y and Z. No, I'm just writing about X. Yeah. Not even, you know, no relation to Y, no relation to Z. I'm not even referencing them. It's like they don't exist. And I think we do ourselves a huge, huge, huge disservice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, is that going to change? I doubt it. I doubt it. I, you know, honestly, I, I think we as a society have to have to have a major shift because I think even subconsciously or unconsciously, I think a lot of people know, you know, um, like the, the people that like to keep things status quo. Mm -hmm. I think, I think they intuitively understand that if you start bringing all the arts and sciences together the way they should be, um, to explain the human condition and explain the universe in all of its complexity that you get things like m magic being legitimate, mm -hmm. um, woo woo spiritual practices as being legitimate. And I think the, I think in, in a big way, I, I would think that the hierarchy would collapse when you have so what what that conjunction of all of these things coming together what it does is it's a breeding ground for ideas for possibilities and for creativity and when we are at our most creative right we advance ourselves our brains 
change. Our society changes, right? And we become, I would say better, um, but we, we progress. Hmm. And the powers that be want that status quo. They want things to stay. Um, you know, going back to when we're talking about math, right, and conjuring and such. Like, if people were able to think, if people were able to reason, if they started to ask why and how, then the church wouldn't have that power, right? Or, or right. the monarchy wouldn't have that power. So we're seeing like constantly these bits. And when we look at what's happening right now right is like between this like let's consider all of the options let's look at all aspects of society and class and what's been going on in history and then you have this hard right <laughs> don't ask questions stay in the box you know we're gonna rapture we can't teach history we can't do this right because this mm -hmm. is safe and this is how we maintain our power yeah. yeah and so that's what it is like if we bring if we bring them all together it is the unholy alliance of, of creativity and humanity can reach like another not, again i don't want to say next level just can we just go through the door get to go yeah. through the door yeah. to, to the next room um rather than staying in the same room and beating each other to death yeah but i i think for uh, a, a not a large necessarily a large segment of society but a powerful influential segment of society i think the idea of bringing you know art and science together like that would be the equivalent of breaking open the seven seals like let's be honest yeah you know i mean you know the the tiniest hint of that um and what do we see happen well we're seeing it now with um harsh laws uh being enacted um insurrections and that was just you know on a minor minor societal shift you know of, of people saying you know i don't want to be killed for walking down the street or driving in my car you know what i mean and the 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 huge backlash from the the hierarchy the the status quo um in my opinion is definitely overkill you know but you know yeah so i i don't see um i don't see that that coming together of arts and sciences um anytime soon i mean i well, you know i <laughs> I, 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 I like to think of myself as an optimist. Um, you know, we're, we're living in a really difficult time right now with the pandemic. Like you guys in the US, you know, politically, uh, it's very challenging. Um, and, you know, and a lot of people are really pessimistic right now. I typically tend to be an optimist by nature, but there's some things that, you know, I have to be a realist about, and, you know, this is one of those things, you know, the, the, the intersection of, of, of art and science and religion and, and everything, um, uh, the way we've seen it in the past. Um, I don't see that happening anytime soon, certainly not in my lifetime, you know, cause I, I, I think that's, that's, 
that takes a big generational shift. And yeah, I just, I don't see it. I, I don't think I'll experience even um, the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of it. I like to say, I have hope. I have hope. I have hope. You know, it's like, what can we do? I feel like particularly in our generation is that um, there's sort of this bridge, right? It's we, we, we are not the end of the bridge, but we are in the middle of the bridge um, kind of connecting things. And I do have a lot of hope and inspiration when I look to what the younger generations are doing. And then, that, you know, not just saying like what people are bitching about on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. I'm like, what the actual beings that I'm meeting out in the street and what the teenagers are doing and just like, oh, my gosh, like you've come so far from where we're at. Yeah, um, then maybe. Um, but I can't focus all the way down the line. We gotta be like, what can we do right now? Um, yeah, absolutely. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. And it's small things. I mean, we could only do like individually small things and that's fine um, because those small things, they, they certainly they certainly add up, you know? Mm-hmm. It's that's- just, you know, that what I envision in my head for, for society, um, like I'm hopeful, we'll get there i just don't see it in my lifetime and you know what that's okay like you know it just it is what it is and you know back around see it later (laughs) well absolutely i mean god this world what would this world do without me like i mean i i gotta you know i gotta turn around and reincarnate like right away like there's no resting you know, I owe it to the world. What what would the world do without me? I mean, come on. I think I want to be a cat for a while. <laughs> I want my do you, cats. Do you, so? Do you believe? Like, do you genuinely genuinely believe in reincarnation? I I think that we have multiple journeys. I think this is a bit of we we keep booting back in. Um, not to say it's the matrix, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you do you think like you you can like reincarnate like different species or always you know uh always another human i i think that we can i think we go into what is going to be most effective um for whatever it is that we might need to or want to accomplish in there and from an animistic point of view um i think that there's a lot of potential I, I look at it as sort of like the cauldron of soup right um and that it's not just one particular line but there's threads that are interwoven and so you you are parts of your ancestors and you're parts of whatever else comes into it um but just for my little happy space in my brain <laughs> i just want to think like oh god i don't want to grow up again right <laughs> i just want to be a cat <laughs> That's where my like, oh, sort of purr and and be petted. <laughs> I've never, I've genuinely never thought about like if I can reincarnate as something other than human, like what what I would reincarnate. See, I I believe in reincarnation, but I don't believe that uh, we can reincarnate as an animal or as a plant, and I, I don't believe that we kind of did like an evolution where we were plant energy and then became 
animal energy and then human energy. I think we've always been human. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I'll find out eventually. I mean, this is that, that's just my opinion. Like, I mean, I, I certainly don't, um, state that as some sort of cosmic fact you know i'm not one of those type of people um and if if someone has a differing opinion that's fine with me i'm not going to block you because you don't think exactly like i do i just think we like you know i've always been a human i'm always going to be a human until i don't have to reincarnate anymore and then what happens then who knows i (laughs) who knows i don't know Oh, it's things I don't stress out about, but I do like the idea of being a kitten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's so many, um, you know, like these type of questions or or the nature of the universe, you know, gods, um, uh, um, polytheists, polytheism versus, you know, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it's like, and, and people get so hot about it on Twitter or you know, whatever social media, I'm like, it doesn't matter. Well, first of all, I don't have the time to argue with a stranger on, on Twitter, number one, but yeah. number two, it doesn't matter. If, if I shifted my belief system from X to Y, and they're, you know, diametrically opposed, my life doesn't actually change and neither does the universe. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't matter. Calm down. Believe what you want to believe. If someone doesn't believe the same as you, it's okay. Like it's, it, it's okay. You know, we we like to pride ourselves in this community of of the diversity and no dogma. Blah 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 blah. No dogma. No dogma. But the second you have a differing belief people just go nuts on on social media and and you know to to crazy proportions i'm like i don't i don't get it i don't get it i think it's um yeah because that's the thing i like i've been been watching for a very long time like i love watching humans Mm, yeah (laughs) just either online in person or whatever just observing observing the uh, universe as it flows and I think when people are presented with a different idea, instead of going, huh, that's a different way of looking at it. How interesting. They go, does that mean my idea is wrong? Mm. You know, it, is this attack against my, but like, no, it's like, it's real wrong. I feel like we're like in Chicago around the big mirror bean, right? You know, the big giant sculpture. And it's like, you're going to see one view here. It's still a freaking mirror bean. Like you're still yeah. going to see yourself in this, but you're going to see somebody else. And then on a different day, the sky is going to be blue versus gray. Um, but it's still the same thing. Like the perspective overall doesn't change. Yeah. And it doesn't make you right or wrong. It's just a different way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but people, I think they they have that personal attack thing. And it's like, it's, it's not about you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why. I, I don't know why um, you would look at someone other, someone else's other belief system and immediately think about yourself that sort of context to the point where like okay well if they believe this which is different than my belief that's attack against me i i you know that like 
you, you want to say, well, that's rather egotistical, but because you're, they're basically making it about them, but it, it seems more of a, more of a weakness mm-hmm. or of it, a, um, it's insecurity. Security. Yeah. And they, so in, in We the Liminal, when I, when I teach this class about like finding that, like when you look at us in North America, right? Um, especially in paganism, right? Because we, we don't have one book. Mm-hmm. We have a, the books, we have a plethora of books, right? Which are often in conflict with each other. So you're not coming from this one guidebook that says this is how it is. And so there's all, you're already starting off on unsure footing if you're coming from particularly a background that says, here's the Bible, this is the Torah, this is the Quran, um, this, is, this is where all the answers are. And now you have to figure out your own answers. And I think that people don't realize they're carrying that baggage with them. Yeah. Um, and that this is the beauty of it, that there isn't a book and that there isn't just one thing. And I, I hope, I think that most people, once they get past that, that sophomore stage, <laughs> excuse me, right, that they go, Meh. yeah, you know, there's more that I don't know than I do know. And that's yeah. fine. You, you just, you just get to that point. Where you're like, it's great. It's great. Yeah. It's fantastic. Well, again, but I think, it's that, ooh, you know, I'm so excited about, I found this thing. And so it has to be true. And it has to be true in the way that the Bible is true. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we, you know, we, we love pushing that narrative of, of diversity and, and lack of dogma and, and rules and that one book and the, the hierarchy and da, 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 da. But when you put it into practice, that, that diversity Oh, and community and, oh, we should just all love each other, love and light, love and light. <laughs> but when, when you put that into practice and you have it, you know, you experience this diverse community and you just attack it. Mm-hmm. And the thing too is that, you know, I, I think about when I was, um, uh, you know, I bought my first book on witchcraft when I was 14. So my journey started then, you know, as messy as, you know, you're trying to, you know, that, that whole period of trying to figure things out, um, as, as a young teen is like that, you know, my, my journey really did start at that point. And of course, back then, like that's 1992. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's no internet, there's no Twitter, there's no social media and there's none of that. So I don't, I, I can't really in my head, I, I can't say, well, when I was that age, what would I have been like if Twitter was around, mm-hmm. Instagram, Facebook? You know, is it just because of social media or is it, you know, because every generation is raised differently and has different influences. So I don't know if, you know, would we have been that way if, if we had social media? I don't know. I, I don't know if it, again, if it's just social media or if it's also a generational thing and upbringing, I don't know. I think it's a bit of human nature because I think about the, you know, back on the forums and in IRC, right? The things that people would argue about um, back then, you know, the common ones like the threefold law, we're gonna have an argument about that. And, and uh, um, 
whose tradition is more authentic, right? The the oldest of this and that, and and the fluffy bunnies and all that, like that. That was oh god. Oh yeah, uh, we, did, we did really do that whole authentic thing. Mm-hmm. That, that, that yeah, that was pretty big there. Um, where it was all about all those arguments was about authenticity and whose tradition was more valid. Yeah, that's, yeah, we are assholes, aren't we? <laughs> we really are. It is, it's just, it's just natural. So it's like, you know, you watch something long enough, you're going to see the same behaviors come back around. They might just be a slightly different topic, but it's still the thing. It's, you know, I think that pagan and magical community has a a wider spectrum for for growth. I think it's the nature of it. But when I look at the the dance community, um, as I was sort of exiting the (laughs) dealing with that the way I was in the capacity, someone gave me a bunch of magazines that were from like the 60s and 70s. And I opened them up and looked at them and I'm seeing like the same bitching about the same stuff about who uses piece of music and who's wearing this costume and you can't do this. You can't do that. I'm like, oh my God, it's been 40, 50 years and you're still bitching about the same goddamn things. It's just a different group of people bitching about the same goddamn things. So, you know, and it's it's still it's still from what I can see my periphery. I try not to look. I'm like I just, I just don't want to be involved in that mess. Um, but I it is. I think it's easier to ignore though. Back when we had the lists and the forums, because you actually had to click on mm-hmm. that argument. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah, well, you, you, so you, you wrote you know, a letter like, to a magazine, and it took six months for it to get published. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Lowest so, argument ever. Yeah, so I'm like, well, I'm not clicking on that discussion because it's just, it's a, a hot mess. Whereas you just flip through your Twitter feed and you see the, eh, eh, mm-hmm. eh. so I guess maybe it's just, yeah, it was a lot easier to ignore back then. Yeah. And you also have, you have a discovery, right? So we're in the middle of a boom. We're mm-hmm. somewhere in a boom. I don't know where we are. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how big the bell curve is here. Yeah. Um, I'm, we'll just see. But we got to remember is that there's all these constant waves of people coming in who are learning things. You know, it's like I had a student who's like, oh, well, haven't we been through this before? I'm like, but these people haven't. You've been yeah. through this. You know this. You've reached these conclusions. But, you know, Sally Joe, who just came into Wicca last week, is now just discovering this whole thing. And it'll be four years before they figure it out. And then they'll go through the same thing again. So it's like we're not all, which we should be. We all should be at the same level. This is how we grow and learn right and hopefully we're learning something from the younger folks as we're also learning from the older folks yeah absolutely absolutely well i mean the best teachers are students Mm -hmm. you know because if if you as a person decide you can stop learning um i think i'll get out yeah (laughs) yeah um i i think i've you know um, better things to to do than listen to you um not a big fan of cult-ish behavior though so, yeah. yeah 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 we're just we're just assholes us humans i think that's just that's it's just the way it is yeah it's just the way it is it's by design yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I just yeah, I I do my best to ignore it. It's just it's harder um, on how social media is now. 
it's a lot more in your face it's a lot more immediate um but i mean sometimes it's juicy you know once you figure out because i never i never see it at the beginning it's already like halfway through or completely done and there's so many like twitter threads and and sub tweets and da, 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 da. so it's you know it can be really confusing to, to put it all together but sometimes it's kind of juicy when you, you know when you're in those moods you're in those moments where you're like yeah just give me the drama give me the drama the cookie. Give me the cookie. yeah 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 i'm like just i i want you know this whole hot mess i i i'm just i'm all in i want to know from start to finish and then you have to like spend an hour piecing it together you know the bad choices on netflix you're like i really shouldn't watch this but i'm just really intrigued to see where it goes you see exactly (laughs) oh my god i watched the worst movie and i couldn't turn it off it was so horrible (laughs) um the witches of um oh my god now now i'm second guessing how to say amityville amy um oh um now I'm thinking about the word in my head. I'm like, I'm Deville, Amityville, horror. You know, Amityville. You know, the witches of Amityville. I I still feel now now feel like I'm not saying it. It doesn't matter. Everyone knows the word I'm trying to say. If I didn't say it correctly, it was so bad. Now. What okay now I I know because I actually had to look it up. I know it was actually filmed in England, so I don't know if okay. So, so what (laughs) it was filmed in England. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was meant to be set in England because the cars were you know uh, the 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 driver's side was on the right hand side of the car and they're driving on the left hand side of the road but everyone spoke with an american accent so i don't know if they were english witches living in england but you know high production values um they they were all english actors actors air quotes um because i didn't see any acting or if if they were american witches living in america but it was cheaper to film in england and they just hoped we wouldn't notice the driver's side being the right side i don't know i don't know it was weird um all the witches looked alike i don't think that was part of the storyline i think it had to do with the lip fillers the cheek and breast implants Mm. the botox and the facelifts because they just and that's one thing i noticed when i moved to texas um Mm. how all women just start looking alike um it was so bad and you know through all the magical battles and confronting a demon which was literally just a guy with a scar on his cheek um again high production values um but through all the magical battles and confronting a demon there was not a furrowed brow in sight um it got it was so bad 
that I just, I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't turn it off. And the first ritual included the line, bless us on this moonlit night. Bless us on this moonlit night while the sun is beaming in through the windows. And I'm like, it's just, this has got to be like top budget, no expenses spare type of film. I'm telling you, it was so bad. Oh my God, it was so bad. I couldn't turn it off. And the last line was like a teaser for like a sequel. Oh no. Oh, we got to go to Salem. Like, no, you're not making a sequel. <laughs> you're definitely not making a sequel. Well, it's It's got a 2.3 <clears throat> out of 10 rating on IMDb. Oh, that high of a rating, is it? <laughs> um. Wow, I hadn't even heard of this. So it's 2020, one hour and 31 minutes. A group of witches must use their magical talents to deter an evil woman from summoning a demon. Botus. Oh, he didn't know. I'm, I'm lying. He had a scar on his cheek and his head had a, 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 a pentagram on it, like in, in like, like scar tissue, da, 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 da. I forgot about that. It was so bad. So I was looking up all of these actresses and they all like know each other, um, you know, just like, like if you click they on- They all the, go to the same the, surgeon. Like, yeah. And, and look at like their filmography, you, you see, you know, they all have their, their connections and whatnot, but oh my God, it was just, God, it was God awful. And I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't turn it off. It was, yeah, it was something else. It was a witch wreck. It was, <laughs> oh my God, it was a witch wreck. Last us on this moonlit night. Oh, someone closed the blinds. The sun, sun's really bright right now. Let's get my ritual sunglasses. <laughs> you know, that's the crappy thing though about um, enjoying horror movies and occult movies so much is those are like like the majority are just you know so low budget mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's it's just that it's just that genre you know it just invites you know just yeah a few bucks and some silly putty for special effects and here's our movie you know <laughs> Yeah. If anyone was, you know, looking for like the craft that they've watched 50 times, so they want to do something new, don't click on The Witches of Amityville. Just don't. Because it's not an equivalent. So you're welcome, world. You Little review included in the interview. <laughs> right. <laughs> Laura's like, I really don't care about this. <laughs> I'm like, I'm kind of curious. I'll have to watch the trailer. Um, but um, I will probably not. I, I've, I've reached the point that I'm like, do I want to lose my, do I want to lose an hour to this or not? Or do I just go to watch some bad vampire fiction? <laughs> right. You know, I'm, I'm not a big television watcher. Um, I, I have Netflix and I've, <laughs> finally used it um last week after after i don't know how many years i started watching the chilling adventures of sabrina mm -hmm. um which at first i wasn't overly impressed with 
uh, the first couple of episodes in season one, just because I didn't, I didn't, my impressions of it wasn't like a teenage angst episodic type of show. Mm-hmm which is what it was presenting, you know, at the beginning, but then it started getting good. And then it was like, I, I can stay up till four in the morning watching this. Cause I want to watch the next episode. I don't really need to go to bed. I work for myself. I can get up whenever I want. And meanwhile, I'm like busier than shit. And it's like, the last thing I need to do is stay up till four in the morning watching Sabrina, but yet here I am doing it. Um, right so there. yeah, so I'm you know I'm not um uh I I don't I don't really watch television movies a lot um so I was kind of surprised at myself because I'm I'm always like what better thing can I be doing right now mm-hmm. and that's with you know to be honest that's with everything um in my life um so I'm kind of surprised that I kept watching because normally within the first five minutes like i'm i'm not gonna bother i don't know why with this movie i just i couldn't turn it off if it was three hours long i think i would have literally sat through three hours because it was just that bad it was just that bad hey so i'm not a big tv i have netflix too uh and it's it's kind of been the thing in the pandemic of like put my brain somewhere else right Mm. somewhere else to sort of space out about especially like travel shows um (laughs) but i found that there's a few things that like you almost want to hate watch right 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 like this is it's it's actually it has to do with a canadian hotel there's like a motel something motel makeover which like i love to see from a design perspective like taking something that's been beaten up and how do we make it better but i couldn't stand the people involved until I realized that they started filming it before the pandemic and then I'm like well now I just have to see how this goes (laughs) (laughs) and like I'm gonna be really angry about it probably the whole way and at the end I'm still like I'm still angry about this but like at least I got to see (laughs) but like I think that was the first time I authentically hate watched something (laughs) right 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 when the pandemic first hit uh March of 2020 here when everything shut down um, I ended up buying uh, a smart TV. I, mm-hmm. I sold my like regular, like flat screen television that I had for like years, because I thought like the the first the first two weeks of March were fine, like business as usual, meant everything here just shut down. Nothing was open. Our grocery stores were open, and our pharmacies were open, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And so, the first. The, the last two weeks of March, I had not one sale from a distributor, from any store or online. So I, I first of all, I, I panicked about my business. So, you know, it kind of yeah. didn't make sense that I spent that kind of money on a smart TV. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, like, okay, well, I don't have any business. I'm going to have to find something to do maybe I'll start watching more television and I should have a smart TV um, to do that. And then my business just exploded. Mm-hmm. It just exploded. Everyone, cause now everyone's sitting at home doing nothing. So they're just going on my website, buying shit. And so, I mean, I was fine in that regards 
but yeah, so I, I bought a, a a smart TV at the beginning of the pan pandemic, anticipating that I would actually have time on my hands to where I'm not doing anything. And that never panned out. I was busier last year was like, I almost doubled my business. Mm -hmm. Like that, it was that crazy. So, yeah. So yeah, like I said, I, I just started, um, I finally logged into Netflix and it took me a while to figure out my password. And yeah, so I figure I should start using it. You know, it's not free. It's, it's just like, in moderation. It's good for the brain. It's good for creativity. It's just, you have to watch. <laughs> yeah. You watch, you watch yourself. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just, I just want to get through, I'm on season four of Sabrina. I just want to get through it and finish it just so I can start going to bed again. <laughs> God damn you. I'm glad it's canceled or else I'll never sleep again. Rest will come. Yeah. 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 So anything else you want to talk about? I mean, I, I can be here all night. I mean, I really don't care, but. Oh, I think we've covered a lot of different things. So yeah. but we can we can always do this again too. Hitting my my end of like, you know, having just dumped a book out of my brain. Um, we're doing much better than we would have last week. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but like, words are hard. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even get to that tonight. So that's pretty good. I'm in pretty good condition. And I'm like, yeah. No, it was good. It was good that uh um we rescheduled in that regards. Cause I mean, being right at the tail end of a project like that. Like you, you can't be like, oh yeah, no, I'll totally stop and, and do an interview for a podcast. Of course. Like, no world, leave me alone. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Seriously. And I, and I hoped I was like, I'm going to be done. I'm going to get everything done by here. And it's like, everything's been slower because of the pandemic. And like, and I have to listen to my body, which like, as it told me last week, like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> also fuck you. And on the other side of <laughs> fuck you. Uh, so like, I'm trying to like, all right. You know, I did just write a book on Anatomy of a Witch, which is about the magical body and then listening to your body. And, and it's like, well, it's going to take five more days to write this book. And so it will. Yeah, exactly. No, it's great. No, it it uh, it, it turned out it's, you know, well, and it's for the best, you know. Um, and no, you'll definitely be back on. Absolutely. Um, you know, like my podcast is new. I launched it uh, Beltane. And um, my whole concept was like, just to have conversations about people, about their, their lives, like their, like the, the magical spiritual aspect about their lives um, leading up to, I haven't actually like technically said this out loud, um, but leading up to um, uh, like, like theme episodes, like, cause I, I like talking about people learning about, people mm -hmm. I, I i find it fascinating i mean i can do like you know some of my episodes are five and a half hours long just because i find people fascinating um but it was leading up to and i think i'm gonna start this in season two maybe season three i don't know yet um doing like um uh theme episodes where like let's talk about x you know mm -hmm. and, and getting into like you know 
some sort of like practice or, or theory of something and whatnot. So, yeah. And I mean, every time you release a book, I mean, you're going to want to be on podcasts and be like, bitches, buy my book or you're canceled. Because <laughs> that's what we do when we don't like what you've done or not done. We're just going to cancel so you. you. Forget about it and something else has happened and then we'll roll back up and like, oh, bitch, where have you been? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I you know I've tried I've tried being like one of those like I'm gonna hold a grudge and and never speak to you again and I fail at it horribly I'm no good I like because it's this takes way too much energy it takes way too much energy to to keep disliking someone um for that that one thing that happened 10 years ago Cause you got to keep it in your head. You know, yeah, you, gotta, it, you gotta remember that stuff. That's space. That is hard drive space. Yeah, no, it is. And it just, it just seems like a lot of effort and a lot of energy. And that's kind of the laziness I can get behind is, you know, being like, what happened? Um, something fell in the closet. Oh, okay. Okay. Cause I just, I heard something and you, 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 <laughs> world around and it's like oh, oh. <laughs> okay i think that's it's the a, house spirit i think yeah i think it's a she has a body in the closet that's not quite dead Just, you know between yeah, you and that. me folks i'm not i'm not opening closet door you, you yeah. have to just accept that i'm not opening that door right <laughs> that, that's how laura cancels people she just shoves them ties them up and shoves them in a closet until they expire or put you in the freezer that's the kind of canceling i can get behind is 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 oh well kidnap and murder so yeah maybe not never mind never mind because that seems like a lot of effort too i wouldn't make a good killer i'd be too lazy all that planning you know like the amount of planning and and having to follow this person and and know their routine way too much effort way too much effort. maybe i'm actually lazy maybe i'm actually a lazy person because i i would find murdering someone just to be too much work too much yeah. effort holding grudges to be too much effort maybe i'm just a lazy person maybe i should be more ambitious hmm. you know it's a different kind of energy. Like you, you do candles and stuff. You've got creative energy, right? I find it's easier to create and keep things rolling than it is to block things. Yeah. Because once you put up a wall, you have to remember where that wall is and where yeah. the door is and the lock and what the password is and block, 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 block. And so, like you're spending all this time, you know, it's like it's in a, it's basically in a kiddie pool in a hurricane, right? You're trying to keep your kiddie pool up. Meanwhile, you could be like, bitch, I should have been on the boat and already ahead of this thing. Like, let me just breeze up the coast instead yeah. instead of trying to hold on to this kiddie pool to like spite everybody. I'm like, and I love spite. Like, I love good spite. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. But but not like I'm gonna spend my time being angry and spiteful and bitchy about everything because that's yeah. that shit. No, it just it really is too much work. It, it, it too much energy i just can't be bothered i don't have time for that i don't have time to remember why we're supposed to hate each other that was 10 years ago you know what i mean like 
I don't care. Except for those couple of people who like like to systematically remind you of why they're a douchebag and you do not need to see them. And that's why the mutant blue block button is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally, and I mean, you know, and you talk about, hear people talk about how much they hate X person and hate and hate and hate and hate. And there's one person, one person in my life that I will never reconnect with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't even hate them because again, that's- You're giving energy to it. Yeah, that that's expending energy on a negative, ultimately useless emotion on someone that plays no part in my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if I hate them, then they continue to live in my head and therefore play part in my life. So this person who I think is so vile, so destructive, so toxic, um, like I, there, there would never ever be a reconciliation um, and that's fine, but to say that I hate this person, no, because I, they're they're not, they're not important to me. Mm-hmm. That's precious energy, you know. That's precious emotion. Yep. So yeah, even something like hate, I I can't even I can't even muster the energy for. I just can't be bothered. Yeah, you know. I'm it's just gonna, a healthier way of living and you just look younger for it well absolutely absolutely i mean you know i no one no one no one can possibly guess that i'm 30 because i look 21 <laughs> i have no idea why you're laughing right now to be honest that was that was a completely believable lie oh yes Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, on that note. So um yeah. Um so your books where I mean we can find your books everywhere, but um you know for because uh for the show notes gonna you know give the listeners some links and so you know where where do we go where do you want uh, the listeners to go to buy your books and you know your social media all that sort of stuff okay so if you want to buy signed books from me you can go to lauratempestsackcroft.com um there's also a link tree i think it's link tree alchemy o-l-o-w-l-k-e-y-m-e we'll we'll get the links it'll be fine words are there we go words are hard we finally hit that but uh <laughs> I highly recommend if you have a local indie bookstore or witch shop or cult shop in your area, that is the most best place to buy books um, to support your local local folks. Um, it's awesome. I'm going to work on getting book plates. So like for folks who want something signed, but also want to support something local, we can find a happy medium. Um, but yeah, I'm on Instagram, on Twitter. I am not on TikTok. <laughs> I am on YouTube. Um, so that's all in the link tree. It's also via my website. So I'm just going to see where. I'm just going to see if, because uh, if you have a link tree, like you, you were kind of like not sure about your link tree or you know you have a link tree. 
I have a link tree. Um, oh. it's, it's what I use on Instagram and I think on Twitter. Oh, there it is. I, yeah. It's like, wow, this is technology. It's amazing. I know. Right. Um, oh, you have your shop author site, YouTube. Okay. Everything's here. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. So what I'll do then for, um, for the listeners is I'll uh, put up your link tree um, uh, in the show notes. Cause since that takes them um, everywhere, I actually, um, I was going to do a link tree. And then what I did is instead of doing a link tree, I added a, a page to my website of links and then use that link mm. just because when you click on that link, because when you know you click on the link tree, it doesn't look like anything Leilo Gonzalez, you know, right. uh, my brand, my company. Um, so by creating that page of links on my website and using that link on social media, it looks like like my branding. You know, it just it you know it just ties in. Um, a lot more but yeah so uh for for the listeners um i'll uh put your link tree in um in the show notes and um uh twitter instagram and facebook yeah facebook youtube they're all they're all on there and my my web my main website has the little icons and patreon and all that stuff too yeah perfect excellent so um yeah definitely support your local occult shops metaphysical bookstores you know however you want to call them but i mean sign books are good though mm-hmm. sign books are good we do like signed especially if they're first editions if you're in the first if you're in the first printing when i do pre-orders that's yeah. that's also yeah definitely helpful for folks to pre-order too but i don't yeah. have anything to pre-order right now yeah 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 <laughs> yeah because i mean i was just talking to, to jason about this because he just finished a, a manuscript and it's you know it's not like a terribly long process but like when you finish a manuscript like six months or so um so this is the first draft um i just got turned in and i think this is going to be out the end of 2022 early oh, 2023 okay. um, but i have an like that, that long editing process and whatnot yeah. to go through yeah. but, they, but like- they also have to space out the catalog so i have since i have the anatomy of which oracle coming out in summer of 2022 i think they, they oh right want- yeah, yeah. They, they like, you know, they, they can't have it as the, the Tempest catalog. That, that, that's yeah, 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 yeah. But no, I mean, that, that spacing out just from a marketing perspective is, is good. Like, that's yeah. why I only um, launch, if I launch new products, I always do it um, in March and September, like my spring catalog and my fall catalog, mm-hmm. you know, just because you want the new products to, first of all, take, take hold and start selling before you introduce newer new products and you know it's just from a marketing standpoint yeah it just makes more sense so well that's exciting and this is book number Uh, number nine number nine nine nine. yeah number nine number nine sorry (laughs) that's a lot that's a lot it adds up and so it was kind of shocked when i did the math Yeah. yeah 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 And that includes the decks. I like, I look, because each of the Oracle decks has a book. So, I mean, you're writing 10 to 15,000 words. It's still pretty, it's bigger than some other full size books out there. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, that's definitely, you can definitely count those, add those into your book count. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, on top of like, you're writing a book for the Oracle decks and you're creating the, the, the art. Art, yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not going to be like, oh, well, those don't count. Well, really? Yeah. (laughs) They count. That's a lot of work. Yeah. 48 cards, still a lot. (laughs) absolutely absolutely okay well thank you laura so much for being on the podcast my pleasure thank you uh, for inviting me yeah no no i was happy definitely happy to have you and uh i'll definitely hit you up uh to come back and we can um do like a like i said like like a theme you know um topic um episode on on something that you really want to do a deep dive into i think that would be a lot of fun sure or we can talk about really bad things we saw on netflix <laughs> oh there's gonna be between now and then there's gonna be so much there because i click on like everything that looks horror-ish and uh like i said i i normally last five minutes but yeah so between now and then i'm sure i'm gonna come across a lot of stuff i wish i could unsee Good luck with that journey. <laughs> <laughs> That's my spiritual journey. <laughs> okay. So uh, again, thank you uh, for being on the podcast and for the listeners again, um, all of Laura's uh, well, that, that link tree um, I'll have in the show notes. So click on the link tree. It's going to take you to everything, uh, Laura and my, uh, my link to get you to my website, all my social media, everywhere YouTube channel is going to be the show notes as well. So um, again, I can't remember what episode number this is. So listeners until the next episode, have a good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Lux Files. You'll find all the guest links in the show notes, as well as the link www.leilokanzawin.com slash links. That link will get you to my page of links where you can then go to my Leilokanzawin website, the Lux Files page, and my Leilokanzawin YouTube channel that has all the Lux Files videos. It also has all my social media links there so you can follow me and the Lux Files. And don't forget to subscribe to the Lux Files wherever you get your podcasts. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving me a review. Until next time.